0: Well, beloved, we're continuing a series of messages from about the Lord's Prayer and um, looking at uh, how the Heidelberg Catechism treats that. Of course, the, uh, pra- uh, the petition we're thinking about today is the fifth petition, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Sometimes we think of the verse, uh, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts. We say it that way too. But uh, from Luke 11, we read, forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So I invite you to turn in the gray-colored hymnal, page 923. I'm going to ask the question from that uh, petition, about that petition, if you would respond with the answer. Page 923, Lord's Day 51. And it's question and answer 126. I'll ask that question if you'd respond. What does the fifth request mean? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors means because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Thank you, friends. A beloved in Christ, Jesus told a version of this parable. Two men went to church to pray. One was an eighth-grade church school or catechism teacher and an elder. The other was known to be a drunk, a cheat, and a liar. The elder stood up and prayed about himself. God, he said, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this drunk. I tithe regularly and I read my devotions every night. But the drunk sat in the back, and he couldn't even look up to heaven. He felt so badly. He simply simply prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus then explained the parable, saying, I tell you, this man, this man, the liar, the cheater, the drunk, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does that mean, brothers and sisters? What does that parable and the meaning behind it have to do with prayer? And even more specifically, what does it have to do with asking God for forgiveness? It has to do with humility, doesn't it? I'd like to suggest three downward steps on that road of humility. Steps that lead downward, and yet God says they are steps that mysteriously put you into a position where you will be exalted, raised up, for God exalts those who are humbled, brought low. So how do you pray for forgiveness? How do you pray? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Humbling step number one, remember the cost. The answer in the Heidelberg Catechism begins with that. If you're going to pray for forgiveness from God, your first step of humility must be to remember the cost. We've been hearing a lot about cost in the news these days how much things cost, how things have gone up in cost, how much it costs to go out to eat, how much it costs at the pump, how much a weekly trip to the grocery store costs, how much a trip to Disney World costs. What will it cost us? It's in the news a lot. What's the cost? The catechism is right in line with us counting the cost. It reminds us that when we pray for forgiveness, we should start right there. Start right where most of us start with everything else. What does it cost? What does forgiveness cost? Remember the cost. What was the cost? Do you remember? The catechism begins its answer with these words. Because of Christ's blood, when you pray for forgiveness, your first downward step of humility In that prayer is to remember the cost. The cost was the blood of Jesus Christ. The cost of forgiveness being granted to us is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In Christ we have redemption through his what? Blood. The forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 2 verse 13 says, But now in Jesus Christ you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Colossians 1 verse 20 says, Christ made peace through his, say it, blood blood shed on the cross. Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, without the shedding of, there is no forgiveness. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, listen, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious of christ a lamb without blemish or defect remember the cost of forgiveness the cost was jesus blood the cost was the lamb of god jesus christ being sacrificed for us not silver not gold those costly metals are nothing compared to the cost of jesus precious blood listen to the cost transaction type language in revelation chapter 5 john sees a lamb in his vision, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, and all around the throne a new song is being sung. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your... You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Those uh, sophisticated auction houses... Maybe you've heard of Sotheby's or Christie's, or maybe you're a regular watcher of the Antiques Roadshow. At Christie's Auction House on May 9, 2022, this painting, this painting by Andy Warhol, became the most expensive 20th century painting ever sold. you know how much? You might pass out when you hear it. $195 million dollars that includes 25 million in taxes and fees who in their right mind mu- don't answer i don't know and i don't care but friends i do know and i do care that the costliest item ever purchased in all of history was the forgiveness of our sins and it was brought it was bought with a with a treasure Richer than all the greatest and most expensive paintings in the world. A treasure worth more than all the riches on the planet. The blood of the Lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus dying on the cross is what purchased The costliest gift we've ever received, the forgiveness of our sins. The first step in praying for forgiveness is to remember the cost. The cost was Jesus on a cross, crucified, shed blood, crown of thorns, nails. Remember the cost. Humbling step number two, recognize the need. You and I need forgiveness. For all the reasons mentioned already in those verses I read, we need forgiveness. We're far away from God. We need forgiveness to be brought near Him. We're at war with God. We need forgiveness to be at peace with Him. We're living empty lives. We need forgiveness to be filled up with God. We're enslaved to sin. We need forgiveness to pay sin's price and be free we're dead. We need forgiveness to be made alive. Friends, we are needy people. We have a fundamental need for forgiveness. The Catechism says it this way, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. We're needy people. We're what the Catechism calls poor sinners. We, though saved by the blood of Jesus from our sins, we still manage to sin. We live in this strange in-between time. We're not dead in our sin anymore. We most assuredly are raised from the dead with Christ in order that we might bear fruit for God. The Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, Colossians 3.13. But still we manage to sin. Andrew Kivenhoven says it this way in this paradoxical statement. We may not and cannot continue to sin, yet neither can we live without sinning. What a strange place to be. What a weird dorm room to be locked in. You may not sin. You can't keep sinning, and yet you still do sin. And for that very reason, since that's the nature of the room we live in this side of glory, we need to consistently recognize our need for forgiveness. Forgiveness needs to be daily asked for and received and passed to us day after day. We can't live one moment beyond the shelter of forgiveness provided by the blood of Jesus Christ because we still do sins we have a fundamental need to seek daily the forgiveness of God. For not only do we do sin so well, says the catechism, evil clings to us constantly. We're in a really strange place. This in-between time, this between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. The world is evil. There is evil in it. And it's more than just you and me committing sins. It's also the evil and badness of the world dirtying us. It clings constantly to us. Remember the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room? Jesus is washing feet. Jesus. This is what the servants did before meals. People traveled either barefoot or with sandals, and they traveled on dirty, dusty roads, and people's feet, more than anything else, got very dusty and dirty. And so before meals or before entering homes, people would would get their feet washed, often by servants, and the rest of their bodies were clean. They just needed a foot washing. Well, Jesus does a foot washing. Peter, of course, his disciple, is taken aback, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers, unless I wash you, Peter. You shall have no part with me. And Peter blurts out, well, well not just my feet, but my, my hands and head as well. But Jesus explains it to him. A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you, Peter, are clean. You see, Jesus Christ saves us from sin once for all. We're clean, but the dirt of the world, the evil, the sin still manages to cling to to us a bit. We don't need to be resaved. Christ took care of that, but day after day, hour after hour, we do need his forgiveness, for the sin is still all around us, and we even manage to commit sin ourselves. It clings to us like plastic wrap. It's very clingy, sin is. We need our feet washed. We need an awareness of our sinfulness. We need a life of confession and forgiveness. We need to recognize the need. We're not perfect yet. One day in heaven our perfection is coming. But not quite yet. Strange room we live in. You wonder why it has to work that way. Why why we why we just can't be done with it. But that's how it works. And so confession and forgiveness are the resources God has made available to us as we live in a place where evil tends to cling, like static electricity. Tried on a pair of black pants the other day, getting ready for fall, and uh, there was a little piece of white fuzz on the black pants, picked it off the pant leg, dropped it on the ground, It got about halfway down to the ground, and right back on the pant leg. Static electricity. Static cling. It's like sin and evil as we walk this road day by day. It clings to us constantly and we need a good foot washing. Incidentally, think about that image of sin clinging to us like the dust and dirt of a dusty road clinging to his disciples' feet. Combine that image now with what God says in Genesis 3 to the serpent. After the serpent deceived the man and woman and they fell into sin. God says to the serpent, remember it, "'Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. "'You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust "'all the days of your life. "'And I'll put enmity between you and the woman "'and between your offspring and hers. "'He will crush your head and you, serpent, will strike his heel.'" You see any connection, beloved? You see it? Certainly that Genesis passage points to Christ, right? crushing the serpent at the cross. We love that. And the serpent striking Christ because he did have to die. But think of the aftermath. Sin clinging to us like dust clinging to our feet and a serpent who eats dust and strikes the heel of the offspring of Christ. It all goes together. It all still shows us the need for forgiveness of our sins. The dust still clings to us. The serpent still dirties our feet with sin. And this tells us we have a need for forgiveness and need to confess our sins. And now, humbling step number three step down to this humility level to pray for God's forgiveness, recycle the grace. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah, Old Testament, chapter 55, one of the long books in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, verse 6, around page 1056, page 1056, Isaiah 55, verse 6, we'll read four verses there. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage teaches us the third step on the downward path of humility to pray for God's forgiveness. Recycle the grace. What's that about? Well, it's about... Taking the forgiveness that has been given to us by God for our sins, spreading it around, recycling it to others. In other words, the third step tells us that to appropriately pray for God's forgiveness, we need to be people who forgive others. We need to recycle God's grace and use it on others. If we are wronged, we need to forgive. If we are talked badly about by someone, we need to forgive that someone. If we are ridiculed, we need to forgive the one who ridiculed us. If we are abandoned, we need to forgive the abandoner, and so on and so on. God's grace is meant to be recycled. Now, is this an easy step? No. That's why it's the third one. It's the hardest. Recycle God's grace. You know how hard it is for sinners, for those who were once dead in sin, to learn how to and participate in recycling the grace of God? It should be an easy thing, if only it were. If only we were so overwhelmed with what it really means to be forgiven by God, so overwhelmed that it were easy to forgive others. But we seldom are that overwhelmed. We take it for granted. We think somehow we deserved it when we didn't. And even if we don't think we deserved it, we seldom can fathom how God could possibly make a habit of forgiving that other person who so obviously didn't deserve it. We convince ourselves that even though we may not have deserved it, we're still more deserving than that other person, and so on and on it goes. And we weasel our way out of Recycling the grace of God by forgiving others. But God says to us, that's kind of the point, people. You have to start thinking like me now. Stop thinking how you used to think when you were dead in your sin. Start thinking like me now, alive with righteousness. He tells us that in Isaiah 55 where we read. He says, seek the Lord. Let the wicked forsake their ways, the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and what? God will have mercy on them. Turn to our God and what? He will freely pardon. And then God says, do you understand now? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When wicked, evil, sinful, dirty people come to me for mercy, I always give it. I give it. So must you. Jesus told a version of this parable. You'll recognize it. There are two young men living with their dad. One of them packed up, left home in a huff. He became a drunk and a womanizer Wasted everything he had, the other young man stayed home, did everything his dad ever wanted. And then one day, the drunk and the womanizer came to his senses, and he decided to come home and beg his father for forgiveness, and he did. And his dad, through a celebration like none the town had ever seen, his once rebellious son was now the guest of honor. And while this was happening, the dad found his other son ranting and raving, furious at his brother, enraged at his father, and his dad explained that he loved them both and that the son who went out and sinned against them all was now finally home and this was the cause for a party. And the story ends that way. Ends right there. With that explanation given by the dad, and the question we're left with is, how will we respond to the grace, to the gracious forgiveness undeserved that God has, each, has given to each one of us? How do we respond to that kind of grace? Will we take the next downward step of humility and recycle that grace and offer our own forgiveness to others? Or will we step up and away and think only of ourselves? And try to hoard the grace of God as if it could be. In other words, will we humble ourselves and be exalted? Or will we try to exalt ourselves and be brought low? God tells us, take the third step down on the right and recycle the grace of God. Recycle the forgiveness of Jesus. Frederick Beekner writes, To forgive somebody is to say one way or another, you've done something unspeakable, and by all rights, I should call it quits between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although I make no guarantees that I will be able to forget what you've done, and and though we may both carry the scars for life, I refuse to let it stand between us. I still want you for my friend. To accept forgiveness, he writes, means to admit that you've done something unspeakable that needs to be forgiven, and thus both parties must swallow the same thing, their pride. He continues, this seems to explain what Jesus means. When he says to God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus is not saying that God's forgiveness is conditional upon our forgiving others. In the first place, forgiveness that's conditional isn't really forgiveness at all. Just fair warning. And in the second place... Our unforgivingness is among those things about us that we need to have God forgive us most. What Jesus apparently is saying is that the pride that keeps us from forgiving is the same pride that keeps us from accepting forgiveness. And will God please help us to do something about it? When somebody you've wronged forgives you, you're spared the dull and self-diminishing throb of a guilty conscience. When you forgive someone who has wronged you, you're spared the dismal corrosion of bitterness and wounded pride. For both parties, he concludes, forgiveness means the freedom again to be at peace inside our own skins and to be glad in each other's presence. And so we recycle the grace. Remember the cost. Recognize the need. Recycle the grace. Humbling, isn't it? It sure is supposed to be. For that's how we pray for forgiveness. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, forgive us our sins. Help us to remember the cost of what it was that brought that forgiveness to us, Jesus' blood. Forgive us our sins. Help us to recognize that the need to do that is always there, this side of glory. Forgive us our sins. Remind us that we are to be recyclers, recyclers of that forgiveness. We pray for that. And Father, we pray now that you would hear our prayer as we lift it before you, taught to us by your Son, Jesus Christ, with those beautiful words saying together,